Welcome to the Crown City Podcast. I'm your host, James DiPietro. This is a show from Pasadena, California, that explores the people and places that make our neighborhoods our home. On this episode, I am proud to welcome the creator behind LA Dreaming, Michelle Aries. Born in Long Beach, Michelle's family moved to Tennessee when she was four. But when she left California, she vowed she would return home to the Golden State. While studying in Tennessee, she discovered a program that allowed her to study at Cal State Monterey Bay for her sophomore year. That opportunity not only brought her back west, but led to Michelle's first job working for the Walt Disney Company at Disneyland. Following graduation, Michelle did a college program internship at Walt Disney World and transferred to the program in Anaheim. She was back in California for good. Michelle is a guide and storyteller at heart and has a passion for exploration. In 2018, she created LA Dreaming to share how to do things in Los Angeles. Michelle has authored two eBooks, the 10 out of 10 would definitely recommend guide and the ultimate guide on how to meet celebrities in LA, which was recognized by the LA Times following this year's Oscars. During the pandemic, she launched her companion podcast and has recently started monthly meetups to create a community around her experiences. She brings the energy of a tour guide and the honesty of a local to explore diverse topics like healthy places to eat in Los Angeles and how to enjoy California state parks. So without further delay, my conversation with LA Dreaming's Michelle Aries. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such a joy to go from listening to your show to now getting to be on it. Well, I'm very excited to have you on. And we're going to get into your history. We're going to get into LA Dreaming. We're going to get into Disney a little bit. But first, to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? As I know, you were born in Southern California, but that you were raised in Tennessee. Yes. So I was born in Long Beach, California. And from a young age, I just knew that I was meant to be in California. So I was four years old when my family moved to Tennessee. And the day we left California, I told my parents I was moving back here the day that I could. And I stuck to that my whole life. So I... I've just always had a passion and a connection to California, and I eventually would love to consider myself an expert on California at the moment. I think I am just a passionate enthusiast, but I just feel so blessed to be back in this state, and I I just love it so much, and I just always hope that that shines through in anything that I do content-wise. I'm just always trying to share my love California and help other people love it as well. You did a really cool two-part episode on the Rose Parade, which I thought, which I recommend anyone listen to. And you had your mom as a guest, which was, I think was very sweet. Who were some of your mentors that were especially important to you? These could be family, professional, et cetera. I feel like it was especially within my family, but of course you don't always realize that at the time, but especially now just at the place that I am as an adult. I just look back and realize how much my family helped shape who I am. And one of the things that my husband pointed out to his family when they were asking him about me when we first met was he had mentioned how resourceful I am. And that was something that I had never really thought about before. And now I I absolutely see that quality in myself. 
But looking back, I see that was such an influence for me from my family with I had a great grandmother that I grew up very close to who had gone through the depression and she would just find ways to reuse everything. She had a hat that she had made out of used Clorox bottles. And so she would just just find ways to reuse everything around her. And so I really feel like she was such an influence for me and just figuring out how to use what you have. And then with my mom and my grandma, I gained so much of my creative skills from them. And they just influenced me. I never felt like I couldn't go after my dreams. And my family especially was just so giving with their time and things that they would drive me to. And my grandpas also really inspired me as well. I had one grandpa who worked for NASA and he helped build space shuttles. And then my other grandpa, in addition to doing church work, he also worked on movie and TV sets. So it just really on all sides just helped spark so much passion in me to just go after my dreams, but also give to others because I wouldn't be anywhere that I am in my life if my family hadn't given up their time to just pour into me and all of my goals and achievements. After college, you came back to California. What brought you back to the West Coast? So as I said earlier, I just always wanted to come back from California from the day that I moved. And growing up, I was hoping that what that would look like is my coming out to California for college, which didn't end up happening for a few different reasons. But one of the main reasons is especially because out-of-state tuition is just so, so much more than what I was going to have to pay in Tennessee or what I would have been paying had I been living in California. So Actually, my journey back to California did begin in college because I thought I can't really go about this the traditional route of being an out-of-state student in California. And something that has been a driving force throughout my life is how do I make my dreams come true, whether or not it's necessarily the way that I originally imagined it. So a goal of mine was to go to college in California, regardless of how that looked like. So my freshman year of in college, I was going to school in Tennessee. I started doing some research and I found out there was an exchange program. So you could apply through this program to switch schools for six months or you could, you could do it for a year, but you still paid in-state tuition to your original school. So there were five different colleges in California that were participating at that time. So I showed my parents the list and my parents saw that Cal State Monterey Bay was on there and they said, you have to go to that area. It is so beautiful. So that was my first choice. You could have up to three schools that you were interested in. So I went to the advisor on my campus and I said, it's my dream to go to college in California. Can you help make this happen? A few weeks later, I found out I got accepted. So I came out and did my sophomore year of college in Monterey Bay. And that just ended up impacting my life in so many different ways. Because then later on, when I ended up fully moving back to California, that meant that I had friends out here all over the state. I knew more about it. But that also led to my working at Disneyland because my sophomore year in college at Cal State Monterey Bay, I started dating someone that lived in San Diego. And I wanted to keep seeing him over the summer. 
And my grandparents lived in Orange County. So that spring break, I flew down to Anaheim and applied for a summer job at Disneyland. And I worked there the summer of 2010. Then I had to go back to Tennessee. And then as I was wrapping up college in Tennessee, I then thought, you know what? I'd love to also be able to say that I have worked at Disney World in addition to Disneyland. So the day after I graduated, I flew to Orlando and I did a college program internship there for nine months. And then I transferred to the Disneyland college program. So I officially moved back in 2012 and I've been here ever since and I don't want to live anywhere else. (laughs) So we were talking about this before we started recording that you're actually working for Disney again. So you worked Mm. for Warner Brothers and then you worked for Disney. What are you doing at Disney now? So now I am working in facility operations at the Walt Disney Studios. So just helping keep everything running. And it just blows my mind that I've now been able to work for the company at Disneyland, Disney World, and now the Disney Studios. And I, high school me, I would not believe that I'm working at the Disney Studios. And granted, high school me was hoping that if I was working at the Disney Studios, it was as an actor. But I don't care because to me, ultimately, like my dream is still accomplished. It's just a little bit different than how I might have originally thought it was. So you worked as a tour guide, correct? When you were working. So how has that kind of impacted how you see Los Angeles? So one of the things that I've always really loved about being a tour guide, and this really just ties into anything with my love for the entertainment industry and then kind of segues into my blogging passion as well as I'm just a storyteller at heart. And I think through tours, especially you're just telling the stories of wherever you're at and trying to help people connect and learn. And it's just made me realize how rich Los Angeles is when it comes to history and culture and just so many wonderful things. And I think so many people, especially when they think about visiting Los Angeles, they're thinking about Hollywood and movie stars, but they don't think about all of these extra little things that make Los Angeles so special and how there is so much more beyond the Walk of Fame or the ritzy lifestyle of Beverly Hills. I just think California is so spectacular. And for me, helping pass along stories that just educate people and help make it special for them. It's just what I want to (laughs) do. So you started LA Dreaming as a blog about eight years ago. Is that correct? So originally, I had a different blog. And it was I would just write about anything and everything. And then as I was learning more about blogging, I kept getting the encouragement of you should narrow it down and have a niche. And even though LA Dreaming isn't necessarily a niche because LA is way too big to try to narrow it down. Um, But in 2018, I decided to stop my other blog and I created LA Dreaming just to try to focus as much as possible on LA, how to do things in LA just sharing what I've learned. And I don't believe in gatekeeping. So I am, I just want people to be able to have the same kind of experiences that I'm having. So I just try to share as much as possible. How has Los Angeles changed since you started it? Of course, I think Los Angeles has changed a lot since the pandemic. But I also feel like Los Angeles is embracing content creators so much more. Because when I 
first got started in 2015, it was just such a different landscape within blogging and content creation. And it's it's changed so much with how many companies realize that there is a lot of power in working with creators and that you don't have to, that brands don't have to limit themselves to working with celebrities, that some of the most trusted people are everyday people that other people can see themselves in. And so I feel like I've just seen a lot more businesses just embrace that. And I think a lot of the judgment has gone away because I think in the early days of blogging, whenever I would tell people that was what I was doing, it was kind of like, oh, that's how you make money? Like, that's cute. (laughs) And now I feel like it has shifted so much where people realize like anybody can have a blog, anybody can start these things if they want to. And it's I feel like it's definitely just changed LA in the sense of I don't think there's as much gatekeeping now because people just want to share. How do you think that it's changed since COVID? Do you think people are a lot more inviting or they want to do more things outside? I think there's a certain degree of that. I do feel like this the city as a whole has changed. I want to keep it positive, definitely. But I've noticed, at least for me, I'm less comfortable going out by myself since COVID. So I am, whether it's a friend or my husband, I am always just trying to have somebody with me because I used to be so much braver pre-COVID. I would park in sketchy areas to get free parking and then walk by myself to wherever I was going. And I just feel like ever since COVID, it I think just like a sense of a awareness and a alertness has created because I do feel like people just feel a little more wild <laughs> these days. I remember one of the first times that I had a double date in downtown, which was August of 2021. So it was like one of my first times going back out to dinner with friends since things were reopening and we were eating at the block in downtown Los Angeles and we had a table kind of overlooking the sidewalk and I think three different fights broke out like right below our table while we were eating. And then one of the groups like got past security and got into the restaurant. And so I just I just started having different experiences. And so for me, honestly, that is like one of the big changes that I feel like I've seen since the pandemic. So of course, there's definitely been some positive changes. And I loved all of the outdoor dining that began through the pandemic. And I'm really sad that not all of that is staying because I feel like we have such the perfect environment and atmosphere for that. So there definitely has been, I think, a lot of great changes out of it. But I've definitely navigated, just navigated exploring differently. I do a little bit more exploring from my car if I'm going out by myself. Something that I really appreciate about your take on things is you're you're very honest. I was looking through, I think, an old blog post of yours that talked about the shooting location for Dunder Mifflin. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea where it was, to be honest, until I saw your post. You had a comment that said, you know, this is going to questionable area, you know, bring someone with you, I think was kind of the the sense I got from it. And I thought that was a pretty honest, fair assessment of kind of that area. And I think people need to know that and people want to know that, you know, they want to know if like, if they're going to go someplace, whether, you know, be in a group or not, hopefully things have calmed down since 2021. And 
people are on I better behavior, so. but <laughs> but based on like all the Disneyland reports, it it has not. One thing that I picked up so much on from my time as a tour guide is how important it is to manage expectations because I think that can just really impact what somebody thinks of an area is what were they expecting when they came beforehand. And that's always something I have in the back of my mind when I'm sharing about certain areas. And I think one of the places that people don't manage their expectations with enough because I don't think people are as honest about what Hollywood Boulevard is really like. And so even though there's things that I love going to Hollywood Boulevard to do, it's not what a lot of people think it is. And so it it hurts my heart that sometimes I'll see things online and people are like, Hollywood is trash. It's so awful. I would never go there again. And on one hand, I'm like, okay, I can absolutely see where you're coming from on that. But then I'm thinking like, well, did you step inside the Roosevelt Hotel? Did you go to something at the Dolby Theater? Or did you go see a movie at the Chinese Theater at the El Capitan Theater? And it's like, if you don't know, first off, like what's actually worth doing there, but I do think people, it's it's hard if you're not aware of you're going to come and see unhoused people. You're going to see, you know, maybe some trash on the streets and it's not going to be quite as glamorous as you are expecting. But if you're open to it and you come in knowing that it's not going to be as glamorous, you can actually still have a great time, but you do just need to be aware of of your surroundings and don't take things from people on the street that try to hand you things. And so, yeah, that's, I think just something that I try to just always keep in mind is what, what would help make this experience better for somebody, but also be realistic of what, of what you're actually going to experience. I think that's a very good point. My, my mom would always act as tour guide for family that came in from out of town and they would want to like, drive down Hollywood Boulevard. My dad worked in Hollywood, not the industry, but the actual location across the street from the Capitol Records building. And so we were there like all the time. And Hollywood hasn't changed that much in 30, 40 years. I mean, it's developed, but like cleanliness and the safety aspect and all that kind of stuff hasn't changed a whole lot. And so people, but people don't know that. But I think it's a really good point about have you gone to the El Capitan? Have you gone to Roosevelt? Have you seen a concert at the Hollywood Bowl? Like that kind of stuff where you have to balance both of them out, right? We went to the El Capitan for a couple of movies. Parking was fine. El Capitan is fine. But getting from there to there, it's like, it's a little bit dicey with little kids, right? And you just have to understand that. Like you said, don't take stuff from people that are handing you stuff and and be more cautious. But you can certainly see the positives in in that if you're you're willing to look. One thing I want to talk about, because I think you explored on your feed, which I am envious of because I have no idea how to use Instagram. So I'm impressed with how much you post and the quality of your postings. But one thing that I've seen a lot more are these like exhibits pop up. Like we saw the Titanic exhibit. Studios will do stuff around like Stranger Things. There was like the world of Barbie in Santa Monica and like also the art of Avatar, which I think you went to. Oh, yeah, I did. That was that was not a thing years ago. But now it's like taken over. What are your thoughts on kind of these pop-ups and experiences that they've created? I absolutely love pop-up experiences. I I feel like they date back maybe around to 2015 or 2016. I remember the first big one that was coming to LA was the Museum of Ice Cream. And at that time, I I was blogging and then doing background work on movies and TV shows. So I wasn't making a ton of money. So I was very 
just like extra cautious of what I would use my money for. So I remember at that time when my friends had said, hey, this pop-up museum's coming here. It's just like a place where you go and take photos. Do you want to go? And I thought, I think tickets at that time were maybe $30 to $40. And I thought, oh, do I really want to pay $40 to just go and take photos? And so I remember at the time thinking, okay, this sounds weird. I, you know, no, I'm not going to go. And then the moment that I started seeing photos from people going, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed out on this. And it stayed sold out for the longest time. And then I think so many other brands and companies really took notice of how popular that became. So then after that, I did start saving my money so that I could go to these experiences and exhibits. And I remember one of the first ones that completely blew my mind was Saved by the Max, which was based off of off of Saved by the Bell. And originally they had started in Chicago. And I remember when I first started seeing things pop up about it online, I thought, wait, should I go to Chicago to see this? Because I was such a big fan of Saved by the Bell growing up. And to me, it looked like you were walking on the set of Saved by the Bell, even though it was just a recreation of the Mac in a in a space and but cast members were making appearances. And so I had temporarily debated flying to Chicago for it. But then I found out it was coming to Los Angeles. And that one to me has always been one of the gold standards for pop up experiences. Because as somebody who watched that show, Growing up, I would watch it every day after school with Full House and just walking into Saved by the Max for the first time, I felt like I was on the set of the show. And then in addition to them having all of these different areas that you could go and take photos with, they had food that was themed after the show. And so I also loved, too, that in addition to getting to take all these photos, You also really got to have an experience. You were ordering food and eating at the max, just like the gang on the show. And so it just felt like they took it from just a place that you would go and take photos at to you actually being part of the story. And I, for me, that was when they just went from being a pop-up experience to an actual immersive experience. And then I think Stranger Things came along and they have just continued to up the game with their experiences. The Stranger Things pop-up that they had in Montebello earlier this year, for me, that was next level because the first part of it was really similar to an escape room. And I've never been to a pop-up experience where it was, yeah, it was like half an escape room type experience. And then when you're done with that, you could then have the experience of you can go take photos on our re- of our recreations of different things from the set. You can go shop where the characters would shop or you could go eat at Scoops Ahoy or these other places from the show. And it just felt, again, just so next level because they're really immersing you into that world. But I feel like it's getting harder for companies because these, the Stranger Things and Saved by the Max, of course, you had to pay to go to them. But I felt like It was absolutely worth the money for the quality of the experience that you were getting. But then a lot of companies also have free pop-ups. So Netflix is known for doing a lot of free pop-ups. They had one at the Grove around the holidays that was kind of advertising some of the different shows that they had. And then they had a pop-up experience for the Glass Onion and the Avatar one that I just went to. Those were free. 
And normally the downside to the free ones is they're normally only here two or three days and you're not always able to get tickets, but a lot of them do have a standby line. So if you're willing to risk that you may or may not get in, you can still try and go. And I've always had good luck with standby, but I feel like because some of these are free and they're really good. So then when you do have to pay, it then gets a little harder to be like, well, is this as good as the free one that I went to? And so I do think it is getting harder for brands to, when they are charging, to actually create an experience that is worth your money when a lot of them also do them for free. And then, but we're, I just think we're so blessed to be in a place where all of these opportunities are happening and we have access to them and they're starting to do them a lot more for musicians as well. So there was a pop-up for Taylor Swift a while ago and then Harry Styles and then May 5th through 7th, there's going to be a pop-up for Ed Sheeran on Melrose. So we're seeing a lot more for the artist as well, of course, to promote new albums, but it'll have photo experiences and special merchandise and I think people Hmm. also just love the limited time excitement of it's only here for these few days and it does just create the rush of like, ooh, can I make it? Can I get in? There's value in scarcity, right? So like if if it's not going to be around for very long, you want to rush to see it. That's interesting. You've talked about this in your podcast too, and we're going to get into that in a minute, but do you have any favorite places to take people or to visit that have been linked to film or TV in Pasadena? The Gamble House from Back to the Future is like super popular. Are there any ones that really stand out to you that really you really enjoy going to and visiting? So outside of the studios or the movie studios, there's not necessarily a ton where anytime somebody comes to visit, I always take them to the same ones. So normally it just depends on what I know they are interested in. But one that I do love, I guess I've, I've only gone twice, but I do really love going to this because you get a wonderful experience at the beach, but then you also get a cool filming location, and that's going to Crystal Cove State Park, which is also a state beach, in Newport, and it's just a gorgeous place to go for a day at the beach, but at the far south end of the beach, they have the cottage that was used in the Gary Marshall movie Beaches with Bette Midler, and it's so cool because you you don't have to pay to access the house. So you can just walk up. There's a little gate for the cottage. Most of the time it's open, but even if it's closed, it's just a half gate. So you just reach over and unlatch it. And the inside of the house, I believe, is only opened up at certain time certain times and they offer little tours for that. That's never been open when I've gone. But even with that being closed, you can still go sit on the porch, you can get photos of the house and just sitting on the porch, you just have this gorgeous view of the ocean. But then if you look behind you, you can also peek into the windows and see a few memorabilia that they have inside of the cottage from the movie. And I just think it's such a great place to bring people because they most likely, if they're out here visiting, they're going to want to see the ocean anyways. So it's a two for one special with that one, especially if they've seen the movie. And my mom and I, we really love that movie. So the the first time I saw it was with my mom, which was really special for me. 
I don't think I've ever gone there. So that's a good, I, I wrote it down in my notes. I'm like, oh, I should go there sometime. So you got married a couple of years ago at a very iconic Southern California location, which is the Wayfarers Chapel in Rancho Palos Verdes. And this became a dream of yours because it was featured in the OC. Back in the 2000s when watching the show, could you have ever imagined that you would have gotten married there? Absolutely not. And especially because when I was watching the show and I saw the chapel, I never even really thought about, oh, I wonder where this place is. But there were a lot of other things that I just remember watching that show and thinking like, oh, is is this what my life would have been like if I never left California? Even though it absolutely would not, my life would not have been like that because these people were living on a completely different level than my family. But still, I just viewed it as like, oh, they get to go to the beach on the weekends and they get to do all of these different things. But then once I was actually back out living in California, and then especially once I was a tour guide at Warner Brothers and I was talking about filming locations all the time, that's when I really got a lot more passionate about visiting places that were filming locations, but are just everyday life locations. They're not a set at a movie studio. And so I started doing research about the chapel. So I saw it for the first time in person in 2018. And I remember a few years before that, I think it just would come to my mind every now and then as like, oh, that would be so cool to get married there. But I don't even know where it is. I don't even know if this is attainable. And then once I saw it in person for the first time, that just sealed the deal for me. So I thought, I don't know if this actually can become a reality, but this is my new, my new goal is to get married here. And it just all ended up working out so perfectly. So it's just another thing that yeah, high school me would be very shocked that it all came to be. (laughs) And you did it all around COVID, which is even more impressive. So you did it in 2021, I think. Yeah. And that was like when stuff was still locked down. There were incredible restrictions. And so I give you incredible props for having a wedding during COVID. I can't even imagine what that was like. It definitely had some challenges, but in some ways, I think it helped because it's such a popular wedding destination that sometimes they have wait lists for up to 18 months. But because they weren't actually even sure if they could have weddings in the chapel when I booked it. there was a lot more availability to work with. So that definitely helped in some ways. (laughs) It's nice to have a smaller wedding. So I got married in 2009, which was the height of the financial crisis. And so we had like a lot of people bailed on the wedding because they lost jobs. I'd lost my job included. And so we had a very small wedding. So we had to make a minimum in terms of like food. So everyone got like, lobster and steak because we had to meet the minimum and there were so few people so everyone had a really good meal because of it but yeah i understand the kind of working around challenges but we all survived you launched the podcast in september of 2021 with a focus on outdoor moving screenings that was i think your first episode which was the perfect time to do that why was the podcast a natural progression for la dreaming So the podcast was something that I had had in mind for quite a few years, and I think it's something I would have wanted to do earlier had I known more about podcasting earlier. 
I had heard about podcasts, of course, around the time that they started coming out, but I didn't know anybody that had one. I didn't know anybody that listened to one. And so for me, it wasn't really something that I started learning about until two girls that I worked with at Warner Brothers, they started having one. And so I started checking it out just to try to support them. And then I thought, oh, this would be so amazing because I, so I've always been somebody who I never just wanted to do one thing. So even though growing up, I wanted to act and be in the entertainment industry, I also wanted to write and maybe do something in radio and all of these other things. And so, of course, my blog has helped take care of my writing passion. So then I saw the idea of podcasting, of trying to feel like I could then live out whatever my radio dreams were. And so I started trying to think of who I could have as a co-host, because originally I just had it in my mind of, oh, I have to have a co-host. And then I realized, well, I don't really have anybody that I'm close with that really shares this passion that I have or might be willing to do this. And so it it took me a long time to figure out it's okay if I don't have a co-host and if I just interview other people and Someday I may eventually, you know, do one or two episodes where it's just me if I can't find a guest for a certain topic. But I think for a little bit, I just got hung up on what I thought had to be in order to make the podcast a reality. And once I realized I don't have to have a co-host, I think my passion is enough. And then I can just seek out people. And if they're willing to come on, great. But I always try to get to a point with any of my dreams or goals of what is preventing me from actually making this happen. And then when I realized, okay, so what's preventing me is me not feeling like I can find a co-host. So, okay, I don't need a co-host. And then I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, well, I guess the other thing preventing me is I don't think I could edit it. And then I met my husband and I thought, oh, perfect you can edit this for me. So so once I had, I guess, like my little team of my husband and I set up, I then thought, okay, we can, we can make this a reality. So it I feel like was a long time coming. But it's, I also I also just saw it as a way to expand upon things that I share about in my blog, and then also get perspectives from other people. Because of course, through my blog, everything's written from my point of view and experience. But I love through the podcast getting to speak to other people that have such different experiences than I do and different insights. And so I I've just enjoyed it so much. And I hope to continue doing it as long as I can. Well, it's a really fun podcast. And I think your enthusiasm really shines through. And I think that's why people enjoy it so much. I certainly do. I look forward to every episode you post. Thank you so much. Have there been certain episodes that have really stood out to you that you consider your favorites? Yeah, I know. Well, it's kind of like, you know, picking your favorite child. But there definitely are ones that I think I have a little bit more maybe of pride in just because of things that are being shared that I don't think get shared as much. And so I think one episode especially that comes to mind is the part two of the Rose Parade episode where my mom and I were interviewing our family friend who I never knew before learning that this family friend of ours had had designed a float for the Rose Parade. I never knew before that 
that anybody can submit designs for the Rose Parade. It's just never something that I had thought of as being something that is open to the public. And so to me, it's just getting information like that out there to people who also might have no idea that that's even a possibility. And and it's not even like it's only open to people in California. It's open to people around the world that can draw, or even if you can't draw, if you have an idea and you know somebody that could draw and bring that idea to life, I just think it's so cool that anybody could see their sketch or their idea actually become a float in this parade that is viewed around the world. And then our friend that we had on the podcast this last year, not only was his float chosen for the city of Burbank, but they asked him to be on the float. So he actually got to be in the parade for the first time this year, which to me, I think is such a bucket list item. And I cannot draw, but I'm starting to think now of, okay, what ideas can I have? And now it's a goal of mine to try to create a float for the Rose Parade and maybe eventually get to be on a float. But that one has definitely stood out to me just to try to get that knowledge and inspiration out there for people that anybody can be a part of this if you want to be. And I think one of the other episodes that I really love, my husband was a guest for an episode on how to see movies for free in LA. And it's really out of his comfort zone to come and be a guest on the show. He would so much rather just edit the podcast and do everything from behind the scenes. But I brought him along with me on so many dates to go to the movies for free. So I really felt like he was such a great person to have on that episode with me. And one of the reasons that that one stands out for me so much is I just feel like we just poured out so much knowledge and information and resources on how people can see movies for free in LA. Because I'm also very passionate about Of course, we all know LA is a very expensive place to live. So how I get to do more is by doing as much as possible for free or for a lower cost. And so for me, I just want to pass that on to other people and share in that enjoyment of getting to do things that you don't get to do everywhere else. I don't know if you consider yourself one, but do you consider yourself an influencer? I guess now I would say yes, only because I have signed a few contracts lately where it said influencer and then it had my name next to it. I think for a while, like a few other people, I was trying to go more under the guide of content creator or blogger because it felt like those, even though those could get a little judgment too, for a while they seemed a little more respectable then I think a lot of people, when they hear influencer, they just immediately roll their eyes. But I do think that is changing a little bit where I feel like even within the last year, there's a lot more respect attached to that word. So now I claim it and I own it. And I think now too, people are more accepting of you don't have to have a certain level of a following to actually be an influencer. And I think for a while, too, a lot of people would think, oh, if you have less than 10,000 followers on Instagram, you're not an influencer. And I think that has changed so much now where it's not at all about the size, but it's just about the impact. 
And, mm-hmm. and I guess more and more too, I've been hearing from people where they'll say, oh, I did this because you shared about it or different things like that. So now too, also having the feedback from people of, oh, thank you so much for letting me know about that. So I definitely feel more like one now than I think I did previously. How you go about it is really natural. There's some kind of a stigma that I think you said, like you shared, it's dropping off. I have no perspective on this. Is there pressure involved in this? Because like, do you go out to things knowing you have to create content or is it just like going to something just like the enjoyment of it? Does that make any sense? Like I was wondering if there's a lot of pressure involved and like you have to shoot B-roll, you have to do this, you have to do that. I'm just kind of curious. For me, there's only pressure involved if it's something that I'm invited to. So if, cause I, I also seek a lot of things out for myself. Cause I remember this last year I was hanging out with somebody else who also shares a lot about things to do in Los Angeles. And they said something to me about, wow, you must get so many invites. Cause you're always at all of these different events. And so I said, oh, I, I do get invited, but it's really not as often. Like if I were to do a percentage of how much I actually post about what I do versus how much of that I'm actually invited to, it's such a small percentage. But I go to a lot of things because I want to go to a lot of things. And then I kind of do the legwork and the research of, okay, if I want to do this, how do I get tickets to this? How do I make it happen? And so there's really only pressure for me when I'm invited, because then there are expectations. But it's also important to me to never feel pressured to leave a good review or to have to say good things, because I also feel like I can only be trusted by people if I'm being honest and genuine. And so if I go to something that I'm invited to, but I don't think it measures up, like I can't, you know, I can't really rave about that. But there is there is definitely a pressure of how am I going to go about this? And then I think sometimes too, there is a pressure of trying to avoid comparison. Because I had gone, I got invited to an event in February. It was for Dunkin Donuts. And it was a really cool and fun event. But then when I I got there, and I started meeting all of these other people, and then I later looked them up on social media, all the other influencers that were there had 40,000 followers and up. I was the only one that like, I was definitely a micro influencer compared to everybody else. Everybody else got paid to be there. I just got invited, which was totally fine. I didn't need to be paid to be there. But I remember going home and thinking like, did I actually deserve to be there? Because I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was on the same level as everybody else. And then I had to remind myself, like, there was a reason why they sought me out and invited me. And I can't, it's, it's so hard sometimes. So I think for anybody to not compare yourself to other people. And so I think a lot of the pressure can also just come from that from seeing what other people are doing. And I think a lot of the pressure we just create for ourselves. So it's definitely the easiest when it's when I'm just doing stuff that I want to do in general. But I think other people would also enjoy because I I'm an adventurer and an explorer and I always have a never ending to do list of places I want to see and things I want to do in LA. And so 
I do try to document that as much as possible, but especially when I am spending time with other people, like I also try to be respectful of that. So I ask people like, do you want me to make sure that you're not in the content? Do you want to be part of the content? And then also trying to balance how much I am on my phone versus actually living in the moment. Cause that's not very fun to go out and have an amazing experience, but the other person's not really experiencing it. So I definitely just try to create a good balance. And I think because I have such a joy for it, it'll help me keep doing it longer and trying to avoid the burnout. But there's, there's definitely pressures involved in it. But a lot of it are not a a lot of it's just kind of things that you put pressure on for yourself. I wanted to shift focus to Disney because that's a big focus of yours. You have a section on your on your website about visiting Disney. You've worked for Disney a couple of times. Now you're back at Disney. And so I want to know where your interest in Disney came from. Definitely that came from my family. My grandparents lived down the street from Disneyland. They went in 1955, the year that it was opened. And I I still have their ticket books. So after my grandparents passed away, my mom laid out all of their Disneyland ticket books that they still had. So I do have an e-ticket, which I really, really treasure. But Disney has just been such a big part of my family for so long. And a lot of that really does stem from my family lived close by. My grandparents, they've been close by from the beginning. My mom grew up down the street from Disney practically when my sister and I were little, and of course I was so little, I don't really have memories of this, but we had annual passes and my parents would take us there as often as possible. And then even when we moved to Tennessee, my I would grow up watching a Disneyland sing-along video of just characters running around through the park. And so I really just grew up with a love for Disney that my family started and it got passed down to me. And There was definitely a time where I didn't love Disney as much or I didn't outwardly love Disney as much because I think out here, people's connection to Disney is so different because they can go to Disneyland. And I think Disneyland especially, it has such a connection with locals. But in Tennessee, people don't necessarily have that same connection because it's about a 12-hour drive to go to Walt Disney World. Not many people are necessarily going to fly out to California. And so there was definitely a phase in Tennessee where, like, you're a baby if you like Disneyland. So I definitely would bury my love for Disney a little bit. And then it wasn't until I came to school in Monterey. And then I remember either Princess and the Frog or Tangled had come out. And my roommate was going to go see it with a group of friends. And I thought, wait, is it cool out here to like Disney past a certain age? And so then I thought, okay, now I feel like I can I can become more of my Disney self again. And then when I applied to work at Disneyland, and I had posted on Facebook about it, and then I had flown back up to Monterey after my interview, and I knew I got the job. And when I walked back into my dorm room, my roommate said, wait, we saw on Facebook, you got a job at Disneyland. Is that true? And I said, yes. And they were all so jealous. And it became such a bonding thing for us. Like I hadn't really been that close with my roommates. But then once they found out I was going to work at the park, they thought that was so cool. And then I realized, 
oh, it's a completely different situation with Disney out in California. And I think ever since then, my passion and love for Disney has grown so much more because I felt like I was back in an area where people could appreciate that and celebrate that love. And then, of course, actually getting to work at the parks just took it to a whole a whole nother level. And I just I just love Disney and I love getting to share that love and enjoyment with other people. Disneyland is very much a local park. It's become more local because now there's Shanghai and Tokyo where it's not really drawing the Asian crowds. There's so many people that are local that go to Disneyland on a regular basis. I grew up in the Griffith Park area. And so like my dentist was like down on Buena Vista, you know, so we drive by the studio like I'm not going to mention the name of the street, but I I grew up like two blocks away, sort of, from Walt Disney's house on Woking Way. It was always present in your life as a Southern California kid growing up because it had such a large impact on the area. And so I've become a Disney adult. I was closeted for a while, like you were in Tennessee, and I've reemerged from that. But do you have any kind of favorite memories of either the, the parks or... Maybe that could be like Walt Disney World or Disneyland since you worked at both. So my favorite family-related memory is for – so my birthday is right before Christmas. And the year that I was going to turn 13, my grandma had asked me, she said, would you rather have a lot of presents or would you rather have one big present? So my sister and I agreed we'd rather have a big present. So my family ended up taking us to Disney World as a surprise. So my grandparents flew and met us in Orlando, and my parents came and picked my sister and I up from school early, and my family was really into the amazing race at the time. So we got in the car, and my mom handed us an envelope that looked like the envelope they get on the amazing race, and it gave us our first clue. And so we started this road trip, and we had no idea where we were going. So we would have to do different tasks along the way. Like one time we had to stop at this gas station and run in and buy candy bars that had certain letters in the name. And so we would do these silly things as we would make our way. And then eventually we got to Atlanta and Georgia. And then that's where they ended up surprising us and saying, we're going to Disney World. And so then I I turned 13 at the Magic Kingdom and I just like I get chills sometimes when I think about it because it was just so special the way they made that trip a surprise. And so that's definitely been my most favorite family related memory. But I have just had so many phenomenal experiences when I worked at the park as far as special moments that I got to have. So definitely two things that stand out was getting to go to Walt Disney's apartment on Main Street above the firehouse. The first time that I went into the apartment, I wasn't in guest relations yet, the department where I would become a tour guide. So I thought, oh, this is probably going to be my only time in the apartment. And I thought it was so special and so magical. But then later getting into guest relations, I ended up getting to go into the apartment several times, which I still just can't even believe that that's something that I've said, because I think it's just truly one of the most special places in the park. So that is just something that's always stood out to me as so special, but also the dream suite above Pirates of the Caribbean. I got to go into that quite a few times as well. And it's just another another place that it's just filled with so much Disney 
Disney magic. And I, I just pinch myself sometimes thinking of those, those things. And so I, at one point, I even had a Disney bucket list, because I started realizing being at the parks, like, oh, there's actually some of these things that are are things that I can dream of, and hopefully eventually they'll come true. So Club 33 is still, I've been inside Club 33, but I haven't dined there. So that's still on my Disney bucket list. And then seeing Walt Disney's office at the studios, that's on my Disney bucket list as well. So we'll see. But definitely those other two really really stand out as special experiences I've had at the park. Two more quick Disney questions, and then we'll get to closing up our conversation. One is, we were talking about this before we started recording, which is Disneyland and DCA have changed. You know, I remember going as a kid where DCA wasn't even built yet. And I remember the big parking lots, you know, as probably your grandparents and parents remember. What would you like to see happen to the parks, in your opinion? And you're not speaking for the Walt Disney Company at all. You're speaking for for you. So in California Adventure, I sometimes I have mixed feelings about some of the changes because I do really like how that park has grown because when the park first started, it was such a small park next compared to Disneyland. And so I always felt like at the beginning, it was kind of like you would go to California Adventure, you would do one or two things, and then it was time to go back to Disneyland. But now I feel like it has really become a park where you do need a whole day to really get to enjoy it. But because I am such a passionate and enthusiastic person about California, I have had mixed feelings about seeing some of those California elements get taken out of the park. And I absolutely miss having the California letters outside of the entrance to California Adventure. I loved seeing those letters, getting photos with them. I know they're at the Sacramento Zoo now, but I really miss having them. But for me, I want them to make Soarin' Over California permanent because I think that when your park is called California Adventure, you should have some things that still represent California. And I think Soarin' Around the World works so great at Epcot. But honestly, for the most part, I really only ride Soarin' when it's the Food and Wine Festival and they bring back Soarin' Over California for a limited time. But one of the reasons I love that so much is there is a good percentage of people that when they come to California, they are just coming for Disneyland. They don't really go anywhere else in the state, which I do always think is really a missed opportunity because there is so many wonderful things to do in California. But I think seeing Soarin' Over California then helps people realize, wait, we should come back to California because I want to see these redwoods. I want to go to Palm Springs or some of these other areas. And so to me, it was just so wonderful to highlight some of the coolest things to do in our state through that experience. So personally, I would love to see Soarin' Over California come back permanently. I also, so I'm really excited about Porto's and some of those other additions that they've now announced are going to come to downtown Disney. But it is my dream that eventually an In-N-Out will be put at Downtown Disney. And it honestly ties in with the idea that there are people that they come to California only for Disney. And they may not have a rental car to go get to experience In-N-Out. 
And granted, In-N-Out isn't crazy far from the parks, but still, if you're if your goal is to just spend as much time at Disney as possible, it's not really something that you could just quickly jump over to In-N-Out, grab your lunch, and then come back. So I just think it would be so perfect because it is such a California experience. And I think it would be one of the longest lines at the park. They would probably have to create a lightning lane for it. But that would just definitely be such a dream of mine is to eventually see in and out go. I d- and I mean, I have no idea whether or not that idea has ever even been floated by anybody or if in and out would even be interested. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the in and out name tag design is the exact same as Disney because they oh. want to model that Disney level customer service. So I just feel like the brands go hand in hand so well. So it's, I, it feels like a pipe dream, but I would just love to see that happen. It's a good pipe dream. So real quick, the LA Times recently did a huge piece on Disneyland and they ranked all 50 plus attractions. And so number one was Small World, two was Pirates, three was Haunted Mansion, four was Rise of the Resistance, and five was Radiator Springs. Can you name your top five? Okay, so my top five, definitely Rise of the Resistance, Splash Mountain. I just, I love the log flume and I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with that with Tiana's, but that's, that's been my favorite ever since I was a little kid. Even though it's jerky, I have so much love for the Matterhorn because I think it is such a unique ride. And I love that even though there are Disney parks around the world now, Disneyland is the only one that has the Matterhorn. And it was the first e-ticket attraction. So for me, from a Disney history standpoint, I have so much love for the Matterhorn. I definitely would rank Radiator Springs Racers very high up. I also really love Toy Story Midway Mania. I think it is so much fun to just get to compete against everybody. And I think it's really clever. And then I think my last one, I'm very bitter about them taking this out of Disneyland or California Adventure. But I would still say it's a favorite, Tower of Terror. And I know now it's Guardians of the Galaxy. But I think the theming, because I love that it was old Hollywood theming, but the drops were just fantastic. So even though it's now Guardians of the Galaxy, Tower of Terror is definitely a top five for me. Good top five. So wrapping up our conversation, when you think about the next five years, the next 10 years and beyond, where do you want LA Dreaming to go? You've talked about like a monthly meetup recently. You have the podcast, you have the blog, et cetera. Where do you want, what do you envision for LA Dreaming? So I would really like to see more of a community, which is why I would really like to eventually be able to start doing monthly meetups. And one of my goal with the meetups is to have it tie in to either a podcast episode or a blog post where it's like, okay, I've shared with you that you can have this experience, but now I'm actually going to create a community to help give you that experience. Because I think, especially with how many people move out here to pursue their dreams, a lot of people do move out here not knowing anybody. And so I think a lot of people are coming out here just hoping to get to connect with other people and make friends. And so I do want to try to just create an atmosphere for that to happen. And then I know a lot of people there are certain things they want to try, but they don't want to try them alone. So I want to try to create these meetups just to help give people an avenue to actually 
go out and do these things that I'm sharing about. So that's definitely a goal. But I was just at the LA Times Festival of Books. And I just realized I'm like, okay, it is a goal for me to be involved with that on some level someday, whether that is me getting to be a guest speaker, because I saw they had a panel on experiences in California to have in 2023. And I thought, wow, I would love to be to get to the point where I could be invited to be on a panel like that. Or I definitely have goals for hopefully eventually having published books. And so then I thought, well, maybe the way I'll get to be a part of this festival is by having a stand where I I sell these books. But just being at that festival for the first time, I just really thought this is such a goal and new dream of mine is to get to go from being an attendee at this to actually getting to be a part of it. So those are, I think, two of my my biggest goals for the future. Because of your personality and your kind of passion for Los Angeles, I can see your kind of channel, I'll call it the channel, but I can see it turning into like a mammoth club. And you have an ebook, which I will talk about in my show description, and I'll put a link to, to your site as well, because I've downloaded the ebook. I think it's very, it's an incredible resource and it's it's free. And so I'd recommend that everyone check that out. So I hope that writing a book is still kind of in your in your grand vision. So I have three things that I eventually want to create. So one I'm actively working on right now. The other two, I have the titles and I know what I want to do with them. They're definitely two of them are really big undertakings. And I keep telling myself, I'm like, whether or not I end up having to publish it myself or if I'm able to get a publisher, great. But yes, they're definitely things that I hope to get out into the world. And they all just really tie into exploring Los Angeles. Well, final question. If you could design a perfect day in LA from breakfast to late night, what would you do? Where would you go? And what would you eat and drink? And with the caveat that traffic is not an issue. So you could go from like Santa Monica for breakfast and like you know, for coffee, you can go to like Los Feliz or someplace. So traffic is erase the traffic issue. What would be your dream day? Okay. Well, in addition to erasing the traffic, I am also going to erase budgetary issues for a true dream, dream day. But I, for me, because I always have such an endless list of where I want to go and what I want to do, for me, any dream day just involves my actually going to those places. So For breakfast, it's going to be one of the places that's been on my to-do list for forever. So for this day, we'll say I'm going to go have breakfast at the Line Hotel in Koreatown, where it looks like you're dining inside a greenhouse. Because I've been through there for an event, but I've never actually gotten to dine there. It's been on my to-do list for years. So we're going to kick the day off there. And then we're going to go to Malibu because there's a few more beaches in Malibu that I have not explored yet. So we'll just say we're going to go to Leo Carrillo Beach. And then after that, we are going to hike to the MASH site because that's another thing that has been on my to-do list for forever. And I know it was damaged a bit by the fires in the recent years. So I really want to go see what remains from where they filmed and tried to make Malibu look like. Korea. (laughs) So knocking off a filming location off of my to-do list. And then after that, I'm probably going to go see a movie at one of the theaters that I haven't been to yet. So I think one of the ones I haven't 
been to, I haven't been to the Los Feliz 3, and I've been hearing a lot about that lately. So I'm going to cut back across town, go see a movie there, because even though I enjoy, I have AMC A-list, so I love going to the movies through that, but we have so many fantastic movie theaters that are not chains, and I am trying to mark them all off my to-do list. So definitely going to see a movie. And then one of the places that I've been wanting to eat at more recently is Fanny's at the Academy Museum. So I'm going to go there for dinner. And it's a dream of mine to stay at the Beverly Hills Hotel. So I'm going to check in there and stay the night. And at the moment, they're also having movie nights by the pool. So hopefully watch Troop Beverly Hills at the Beverly Hills Hotel and call it a day. (laughs) That's an amazing list. Thank you very much for being such a fun part of Los Angeles, for sharing your energy and joy for the area and with everyone and for coming on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. My many thanks to Michelle for coming on the show. For more information and to follow Michelle, You can find her work at ladreaming.com and on social media, where she puts other influencers to shame with fun and insightful content. Please also download and listen to her podcast, where she hosts interesting conversations like her most recent one on Los Angeles' public libraries. There are many people that keep this show going. First, I want to thank my Patreon sponsors. I really appreciate your support. Second, to my family for all their love to keep this project alive. And finally, to all that listen, thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show or supporting it through direct sponsorship or Patreon. This is the only podcast that has never been supported by a mattress company, Athletic Greens, or Meal Kit. I would love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can reach me at james at thecrowncitypodcast.com and follow me on Instagram. Until next time, please remember to stay well, follow your LA dreams, and as always, see you around town. Do you like podcasts? No. No. Okay, Dad? Cuts. Why don't you... They're weird. Okay, well, let's start over. Start over. Okay. Do you like podcasts? No. Why don't you like podcasts? Because they are 